The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. And turn with me to John's letter. That's uh, First John. We're going to pick up this morning in chapter two, beginning at verse fifteen, and go through verse seventeen. And um, I, I've come to discover that when I became a Christ follower, or when you became a Christ follower, when we trusted Christ for our salvation, we had recognized that that we were separated from God because of our sin and, and simply by faith trusted Him and His grace was extended to us. Immediately, there's a change that begins to take place in our lives, right? It's not a change that you and I try to manufacture. It's uh, not just to clean up, to whitewash the, the dirty fence. But there's a transformation that takes place in our heart that the Spirit of God comes to reside in us. And immediately we begin that process of change and, and transformation. But we're also aware that in the process of that, as we desire to walk with Christ, to be obedient to Him, to be Christ followers, to be disciples of Him, there are always those things that tend to get in the way. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Well, the Bible speaks of three different areas that we as believers face that that come against us in that desire for us to, to walk and to live with Christ and to be obedient to Him and, and to walk in Him. And, and one of those areas that we know very well is that we have an adversary. Uh, the Bible describes him as one who's seeking like a lion to, to devour whom he may. Um, the Bible speaks of him as, as the liar, the deceiver, the one who wants to come and whisper things in our ear that are contrary to who God has made us to be and maybe doubt, have us doubt that, that we are really his, etc., places fear in our hearts and our lives. But can I tell you, he was defeated the moment Jesus raised from the dead. Amen? Amen? He is there, and we, we wrestle against him, we, we battle with him, but I love the verse in James where it, it simply says that when, when we are tempted in that way, when the adversary comes, he says, submit yourselves to God. That means put, put ourselves under the, the rulership, the, the authority of not only who God is, but who his word says that he is and who he says that we are now in him. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and can I add a little bit of Jamoism in here? He'll tuck tail and run. James says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and, and he'll flee from you. And while we have an adversary who is real, He's been defeated, and God has given us the power by the blood of Jesus to overcome him. Sometimes I find us running scared, and, and listen, we don't have to run scared from the enemy. Can I say amen to that? He's been defeated. Not only has he been defeated, but his power and, and the chains that once held us captive have been broken through Christ, and we no longer have to be subjected to that or follow in that. The second area that the Bible speaks of that we're all very aware of, at least I hope we're all aware of, is that thing that we call the flesh. Right? How many of you in here have the flesh that you contend with, right? 
Uh, you may semantically use the term the old nature, the sin nature, but, but while he's been defeated, we have to reckon it so, and, and we continually deal with the flesh every single day. How many of us realize that the day that we were born again, the flesh was not sanctified? Can I see an amen to that? And brother, if you don't believe it, just ask your wife. It's something that we will contend with until Jesus takes us home. Now, now sometimes we may not contend with it as much as we grow, and there's certain areas we grow in maturity in. It may not be as great a battle, but we all have battles with patterns that have been set by the sin nature in our flesh that we're tempted by. James says this in his letter, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. He says, let no one say that when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, give birth, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And I've got good news, and the good news is, is that, that we we. We can grow, and we do grow in that. But the bad news is we're all going to contend with it to the day this body goes to the ground. Amen? Amen. The third area that the Bible speaks of that John is going to deal with directly here in chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, is, is that area of the world. As Ryan pointed out last week, by the way, Ryan, didn't Ryan bring a great message last week? Thank you, Ryan. When, when, when John's talking about the world, he's not talking about this physical world, but it, it's more of a world system that, that really is governed and influenced by the enemy and sin, which when, when man fell, the whole world was corrupted and affected by sin. And you might put it that when the Bible speaks of the world, it, it's speaking more of that world system, anything that's anti-Christ or that's opposed to God. And, and we live in a world that is opposed to God and the things of God. And John says here in verse 15, follow along with me of chapter 2, 1 John, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now remember, John's writing to these believers, and he's already expressed his desire that, that they not sin. His, his pastoral heart says, man, I don't want you to be back and trapped to these things that you once were. And now in verse 15, he kind of, he's speaking to the believer, do not love the world or the things in the world. But he's also speaking to the one who claims to know Christ, but really does not know him. It's that good churchman. You know, we learn the things of, of church regularity. We learn how to dress. We learn how to walk. We learn what Bible to carry. We learn the right phrases. Well, praise the Lord, right? But there's been no change. There's, there's not been that process of, of repenting and following Christ. And in other words, they, they profess with their mouths, but there's really been no change. And that's really who John is directing this to. Because he says here in verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he goes on to explain the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. 
And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would open our hearts and give us understanding. God, and and Lord, would you continue to grow in us, God, by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, a transforming life that we would be more conformed to the likeness of Christ, Lord. Lord, we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice first in verse 15. He says, do not love the world. Now, this is not a suggestion by John, by the way. It's a command where he says, do not love the world. John is using this in in a tense that has a, not just a one-time love, but it's a present imperative, meaning that we might phrase it this way, don't be loving the world. Don't be in a present state of continually loving the world and going after those things that are antichrist or living in that state. But then he goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, and I might put in parentheses as a lifestyle, the love of the Father is not in him. He says that if there's that pattern in one's life that that nothing has really changed, but they're still going after all that is in the world, it's emphatic, the love of the Father is not in them. In other words, it's kind of where it divides, it separates. That we're living a life that's something different than what we might profess. That we're saying we've been born again and the love of the Father is in us, but because that person is continuing to go after those things and being a part of that, they're, they're, they're really deceiving themselves and the love of the Father is not in him. It's, it's, it's one of those things, either you're in or you're out, right? There's no middle ground in there. There's no, well, let me have one foot in and one foot out. John's making it very clear that if we continue in that, if one has a present state in their life of loving the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Let me use an illustration that may help explain this. John is not speaking to us because we all are enticed and and, and at occasion we participate in those things of the world. Now be honest with me, don't you? Can I hear an amen to that? We do. He's not talking about cookies. We're going we're gonna to fall. We're going to slip. We're going to intentionally sometimes. But the one who's born again has the Holy Spirit who convicts them of that and convinces them of God's grace and his love and calls us to turn back to him. He's not talking about the believer who, who sins, who, who goes after the things of the flesh on occasion. Can I be real honest with you? It's every single day that I go after things of the flesh. All right, I'm glad I'm in good company here. Because we all get aboard the train every now and then. But when he talks about the one loving the world as a way of life, it's, it's that individual who not only gets on the train, but they want to be the engineer or the conductor of the train. That their whole life is consumed by the train and the direction of their life is, is governed or is, is directed by the train tracks and wherever it goes, they just stay on board that puppy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's making a divide here. He says, love not the world. Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, the unbeliever... Or or, or let me put it this way, you and I, before we came to know Christ, 
it, it may have been varying degrees that we were engaged in the world, but every single one of us were governed by the world system before we came to know Christ and were born again. Some of us may have been goody two-shoes. I was not. I, it was pretty evident in my life that I was governed by the world. Anybody know me back then? Say amen. amen. Right? My cousin and my brother both just nailed me. But there was something that happened when I became born again. When, when you became born again, all of a sudden, we have the Holy Spirit. He fills our lives. He gives us a new desire that was not in us. But we all delighted with the world and its system before we came to know Christ. Paul reminds us a number of times in his letters when he's writing to believers, and I think in some sense they were kind of getting haughty in their righteousness, and he says, remember you too once were. Right? So as believers who have been saved by God's grace, we have no right, none, to point at those who are in the same place we were and say, look at that dirty, rotten sinner. Can I say amen to that? You see, our heart needs to be, man, they're trapped just the same way that I was. And I pray that God would pierce their hearts with His grace and His love and they might come to know Christ and their life be changed and turned around for His glory. See, we were all governed by that. Paul, speaking of, of us and those who are still in the world, those who have, have not been born again, regenerated. He says this in his second letter to Corinthian, the Corinthians. He says, in their case, speaking of those who are lost, the God of this age, same word translated, would be translated world, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It was the image of God. You see, before you and I came to know Christ, the, the God of this age, the adversary, he had blinded our eyes so that we couldn't see Christ. We couldn't see the glory of God. But thank God that we who are lost and separated from him, as Billy Graham said, he's the great hound of heaven. He sought us out by the Holy Spirit and opened our eyes so that we might come to faith in him. Give me a say amen to that. Thank you. Yeah. Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians. He says the natural person, that is the person who's not been regenerated, who's not been saved, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And, and what Paul is saying there is that one who has not been born again and received the Spirit of God cannot understand the things of God. We, we might be able to get a cognitive, mental ascent understanding, but to understand the things of God. Why? Because those things of God are spiritually discerned. And in our natural, sin-born self, we can't see them. But it's only until God saves us, the Holy Spirit comes in, and our eyes are open and our heart is enlightened, that we begin to understand the things of God and who He is. Thank God that He has saved us. I find that in the, in the Christian world, sometimes we, we like to, and, and I understand it, but we, we have a tendency to want to retreat from the world. But can I tell you, that's not what he has called us to do. 
Jesus in John chapter, chapter 17, when he's praying to the Father, he says this. He said, Father, have you, as you have sent me into the world, I am now sending them into the world. Now, the Bible says we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world, right? So rather than us getting in our church huddles, and, and, and fellowship is good within the body of Christ. We need that. We're going to talk more about that. But God is sending us out so that we might proclaim the good news, the gospel, and demonstrate that through our lives, that there's been a change, that we now know the Father, not in a prideful way that, that we've done anything, but by His grace, He has saved us, and we're to be light and salt in the world everywhere that we go on every single day of our life. I was talking to my guys in my discipleship group on Friday morning, and they all, they all work in jobs that are in the world. I, I work among, I love, I love y'all. Sometimes I work among disgruntled, disgruntled believers, right? I, I live in a Christian world. And, and, and I, 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 I was telling them, you know what? You have far more ability to have impact in the place where you work, where you go to school, where God traverses you every single day in your life than I ever will or anybody else in vocational ministry because we're among the believers, right? That God wants to use you where you are. That God has purposed that in your life and in my life as well. But look at the opportunity and I know working in a secular environment is difficult. I've been there. But see that God in His providence has placed you there, and the Spirit of God resides in you, and He desires to use you in that place where you are. Dr. Makes, you're, you're in a seminary. You've got it harder than I do. And Jesus said, Father, as you sent me into the world, now I'm sending them into the world. So we don't have to be afraid of the world. Now, we want to watch it that we don't get caught up in the world. But God has called us to be a part of that. And then the question comes, what do we do in our lives as believers where we are so desirous to walk with him, but we have the world pressing in on us every day and we're inundated by it in every turn and everywhere we go and everything we turn on. What is it that we need to do as believers so that we might be in the world but not of the world? Three things that I find that are scriptural imperatives that we must be a part of as believers. Number one is the Word of God. I'm not talking just a Sunday morning reading in your Sunday school class or a Sunday morning reading as you read along with the message, but, but a daily, regular diet of the Word of God as we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we might see Him, that we might see ourselves, as James refers to it, as a, as a mirror that portrays who we are in light of the Word, that we stay connected with God through His Word. It is not just black ink on white paper. The writer in Hebrews says that it is living and it is active. It's like a double-edged sword that divides joint and marrow, spirit and soul, so that we're able to discern through the Word of God. And I would say not just reading, not just studying the Word of God, but Scripture memory. It's so important in our lives. It's amazing to me how 
uh, in my discipleship group, we, we memorize a verse every week. And, and it seems as though all of us have a story on Fridays that, that how during the week, one of the memory verses that we'd had just popped up out of nowhere, right? When that point of temptation came, the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, God's word is active. Number two is that we have the spirit of God. We're admonished in Scripture to walk in the Spirit. That means a continual thing, to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit, that we are yielding ourselves to His control, His conviction in our life, rather than our own mind, our own volitional uh, acts of, of the mind and our intellect and making decisions in our life, but we yield to Him and walk in the Spirit of God. I'm convinced, and you've heard me say this over and over and over, there are two things in the believer's life that bring them to Christian maturity. Only two. There are other things that are good, but these two have the power to change our lives and transform us. Number one, it's the Word of God, and number two, it's the Holy Spirit of God. The serving, that's great. We're, we're to serve, but can, can I tell you this, that, that serving alone is, is not going to grow us to Christian maturity? It, it's great to go on mission trips. It's great to go different places and, and serve meals. Whatever you do, that, all that's good. Because God has foreordained those good works for us to do, and we're to walk in those. But the thing that changes the heart, the thing that transforms us, the thing that conforms us to the likeness of Christ is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And number three to that is the family of God, the body of Christ. I need you and you need me in community. Amen? There's so many illustrations we could talk about taking a coal from a fire, and if you set it alone by itself, it goes out. And, and listen, I understand, believe me, I understand, it, it, it's, it's difficult sometimes because when we get close to one another in the body of Christ, we're kind of like a family. <laughs> and family knows everything about family, right? <laughs> The closer you get to me, the more you're going to see warts that I have. Some of you are delighted in telling me of those warts. <laughs> That's not an excuse for those warts. But there's the admonishment that we have in community in the body of Christ that we're to, in the words of Paul, spur one another on. The New Testament is full of one another phrases. And God's design and His plan is that He intends for us to live the Christian life together. That's why we encourage you to be a part of a small group, Sunday school, where you get in closer relationship with those that are there. We encourage you to go to beyond that and be a part of a, a small little discipleship group so that there's that time in the Word together. There's that time discussing our relationships with God and one another. There's that, there's that time where I can openly say, guys, pray for me because I'm struggling in this area and I need accountability in that. All of those things, we need that and be a part of a discipleship group. Let me go to the next point. He goes on to say, for all that is in the world. Now, let me again reiterate what he's not referring to when he talks about the world. He is not referring to people. 
He's referring to a world system. So there again, we can't withdraw from those who are governed by the world. We're to be salt and light there. And so he's not saying all that's in the world, meaning people, but he's talking about all that comprises that world system. And then he goes on to describe it. And he says, I'm going to read the ESV translation here. The, the Christian Standard Bible says the lust of the flesh. But he, I, I like the word desires more, the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. What does that equate with the world? Well, again, our flesh, our sin nature... It desires, it has a lust after the things of the world, right? We'll talk about this in a minute. Some of you are going to recognize it on Black Friday. <laughs> or Cyber Monday. It makes it so easy today, doesn't it? Go on Amazon, you put all that stuff in your cart, and you say, I'm going to think about it, click. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But it's our desire of the flesh to gratify ourselves through things that God never intends, and it can't bring us gratification. He says the desires of the flesh, a couple of words that make up this word desires, has the idea of extreme concentration on something. That, that, that desire, and, and, and desires are not wrong, and, and I would even say lust in the right sense, or desire is not wrong, because God's crea he's, he's created us to desire to have a great passion for those things, but had to have a great desire and a great passion for the right things. And before we were saved, the flesh governed us. And our desire was always driving for those things that are ungodly, unrighteous. Or, and, and, and we have in our mind the, the big three sins that we, we often talk about. But listen, anything can be a wrong or misplaced desire if it's not something that God intends for us to have. That, that drive. And he goes on to say, not only it's the flesh the desires of the flesh, but then he says, number two, the desires of the eyes. The Bible says that the eyes are a gateway to the soul, Solomon said in Proverbs. See, here's how it works. I see something that, that God does not intend for me to have, and you can fill that blank in with anything you want to fill it in. And because my flesh is still continually battling against those things that the Spirit of God wants, right? My flesh is wanting to have the things that, that God may not intend for me to have. And, and I look at that thing and it drives the passion of my flesh. And can I tell you that? The longer I look at it, the more the drive and the passion grows. been looking at classic trucks lately. <laughs> at this point, I don't think God intends me to have one. Next week, that might change. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a classic truck, right? 
But it's not something that I believe right now God intends for me to have. You see, our, our, our flesh will not cause us to crave things that are necessarily bad, but it will cause us to crave things and desire things that God does not intend for us to have, either now or ever. You know, Facebook is so clever. Facebook knows what I have been looking at in the marketplace on Facebook. You know what pops up on my screen every time I bring up Facebook? Another classic truck. 43 Chevy. Jesus put it this way, and, and, and you can, you can tag. My mentor used to always tell me this, and, and, and I hold to this today. Dr. Long had passed away this year. He said, boy, three things will get you in trouble. Money, women, and pride. Can I tell you what? I put safeguards in my life with all three of those. Is there anything evil about money? No. Is there anything evil about women? <laughs> if you're a lady, you can put man there. There's the right kind of proud, too, in there, to be proud. God's proud of us. But not to allow your flesh to drive you to those things where the enemy can use that because you've got to recognize, man, you still got a flesh you contend with and it will take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11. He said, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heavens where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18. He says, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. One of the things I've learned that I, that I can't fight, because I see, right? We all do. I can't fight what I see, so I've learned to flee. Putting Jesus' words into practice. If there's, if there's anything there that, that I'm gazing upon that's, that's, that's heightening those passions that would satisfy the flesh, man, if I stand there and try to fight, I'm going to lose. I got to run. I got to flee, right? Okay, last, last thing. Let's look here. Pride and possessions. He, he, he equates this with the world, a pride in possessions. Nothing wrong with things, right? He talks here about, about having a life 
that, that, is, that is geared and is driven, that the biography of that life would be governed or would be highlighted by what, by what one possesses. Heard in a country and western song yesterday, because you can't take it with you. I, I've shared this before. I remember looking in my dad's room the, the week he was passing, and it struck me that all of his earthly possessions were in that little room there in that assisted living. I'm thankful my dad didn't live his life that he had everything valued in his earthly possessions because what little bit was there is in all of our houses now. And we're trying to give it to the other person. <laughs> I don't want this. You want See, what we gain in this life is of no value in the big picture, right? I, I enjoy stuff, and, and so do you, and, and there's nothing wrong. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. But it's when that stuff governs our life. Some of you are going to be angry with me on Friday. Because when you're out doing Black Friday shopping, you're going to say, J-Mo, why did you say that? <laughs> Again, nothing wrong with the stuff. But is that what drives... Now, here, here's the key. Here's the key in it. God desires for us to have our fulfillment in Him. That's where it's found. And it's not as though God is prohibiting stuff. God so desires that we have full gratification in life and in Him that He doesn't want us to accept a substitute that can never satisfy. See, that's His heart for us. The only thing that can satisfy us is Him. I'm reminded of what Paul said when he's writing that letter from a Roman house prison. And he's saying, you know, I, I've learned in life to be content whether I have, and I've had times of plenty. He says, and I have times of want, but in all things I have learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. That is gold. Amen? Amen. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the word their money is the word mammon, which doesn't have the idea of the material money of the bills, but it, it is more of a spirit behind, if you will, that drives that passion and desire of the flesh. So, believer, we're seeking after one or the other. We can't, Jesus says. We'll love one or hate the other. In conclusion, let me say this. Let me share a quick story with you real quick. Years ago, I was playing golf, that ungodly game, <laughs> at Atlanta Country Club. I think you may have been there with me, Maurice. We were playing a Fort Lauderdale tournament. See, I know the lingo. Never was any good at it. 
And it was filled with a room. If you've ever been to Atlanta Country Club, it is nice. I mean, wood paneling. I mean, it's where Bobby Jones played, right? And there in the clubhouse, it's, it's high cotton. That's what we used to say where I grew up. It was high cotton. And I'm watching these different individuals in here, and I, I'd, I'd moved over to uh, an older, very old, elderly black gentleman who was the porter. And I struck up a conversation with him. He'd worked there since he was a young teenage boy, and he had to be in his 80s. And I was kind of pointing out the lavishness of it and, and the people engaged and everything. And he looks at me and he says, Yaza, and I'm not being, please don't, I'm not being insensitive by saying it this way. He said, Yaza, he said, I've seen a lots of them come and I've seen a lots of them go. What was he saying? Here today, gone tomorrow. And I sense that that man had something far more valuable and of greater worth than all that that could have provided. Peter reminds us of this in his second letter, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And, and, and on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the word and the works on it will be disclosed. Then he says this. He says, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. He says, it's all going to pass away. We can enjoy it. God's given it to us as, as by His grace, and we can have pleasure in it. But in the midst of that, be aware that there is a world system that is continually bearing down on us, and don't give way to the desires of the eyes, to the lust of the flesh. And to the desire to have possessions and a life where satisfaction has been desired to be gained from that. But recognize that God has created you and I for a purpose. And that purpose is to know Him and to make Him known. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.